Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this beautiful day. Lord, for the snow which is blanketing the ground and reminds us of how your righteousness covers us, Lord, covers our sin and makes us clean. And unlike the snow outside, your righteousness will not melt away when the sun comes out, Lord, but rather will last forever. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your grace and mercy, and we pray that we would hear those words of grace and mercy today in your scriptures. Lord, may I preach them with joy and zeal and hope, and may we receive them with passionate hearts desiring to serve you and to proclaim your good news. And we pray for your blessing upon this service, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Thanks for being so brave and coming out for, to church today. It's so great to see you all. Well, uh, anyone ever driven to Utah before? Speaking of snow, anyone ever driven to Utah? Right, and after you pass by, what, Elko or Windover or whatever it is, where, does the, where do the mountains all stop? And it becomes like the salt flats. Somewhere in there, right? Somewhere in there. And you enter this time where there's just nothing but these flat plains. And they're very fertile, aren't they? It's like grasses and trees and palms. No, there's nothing, right? There is nothing. Nothing but nothing. I mean, it is so flat and so desolate that that's where they do their speed runs, you know, when they're testing the top speed of cars and jet cars and things like that. There is nothing for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It seems like forever. You're driving, and there's just nothing to see except for these desolate salt flats. Now, that image, hold that image in your mind if you've seen it before. Um, because Jeremiah is going to tie, he's going to really um, draw upon that image of those desolate salt flats. Because if you were going to plant a nursery, would that be the place you would do it? No, not at all, right? Not at all. It'd be miserable. You can't grow a thing out there. It's a place of emptiness and desolation. Every time I drive through there, I think about what it was to be a pioneer, right? Coming out in your wagon train and hitting the salt flats. I cannot imagine how long it took to get across those things. How could you even carry enough water? The places of death, of destruction, of, of nothing. Now, Jeremiah, he was born in uh, the city called Anathoth, uh, which is a little town northeast of Jerusalem, and he was called to be a prophet of God in the years around 627 BC, right, a long time ago. And he served the Lord for over 40 years as a prophet. It's a pretty phenomenal ministry he had. Um, and he was known as a not popular, popular prophet, right? People just did not like him. The people he preached to, um, most of them just completely rejected what he said. His hometown even plotted against him. You know you're loved when your hometown comes after you, right? Uh, he was persecuted. Uh, he followed, following the call of God, he never married, right? So he lived a life of solitude as well. Uh, his, he served God his whole life, and he had two converts that we know of. Baruch, who was a scribe, and Ebed-Melech, who was an Ethiopian eunuch who served the king. All those years, 40 years as a prophet, two converts. That's hard work. 
that is hard work with not a lot of reward. I mean, your hometown's plotting against you, people are persecuting you, and the fruit of your ministry, two people who listen. He might have died in Egypt. We're not entirely positive where he was taken against his will after the fall of Jerusalem. Sounds like a super fun ministry, right? If you're going to plot out your life goals, probably almost none of Jeremiah's would be in line with what you would desire for your own life. But in the midst of that, in the midst of a ministry which was very difficult for Jeremiah himself, he, pre- he preached some amazing things. He proclaimed some amazing images of, of God's love and mercy, of his judgment and wrath, of the hope that is ours in God. I mean, it came out of this desolate ministry, these amazing oases of beauty. But our passage and the verses that preceded in the chapter um, has some beautiful images and some really hard images as well. I'd like to read you the first four verses of this chapter because I think they're important and give us an idea about where our passage shows up. Verse 1 of chapter 17 begins, The sin of Judah is written with an iron pen. With a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. That is amazing and terrifying. There's um, my brother one time when he was angry, um, carved his name into the top of an end table with something sharp right in our house. It's in our house now. Uh, He hasn't done it recently, but when we were kids, (laughs) there's almost nothing you can do to remove that. You have to take the top down, and I think it just has a hardwood veneer on the top, and so you might lose the whole table to try to remove that. You know, and that's something that was carved with like a relatively sharp object into a soft wood. Can you imagine how hard it would be to remove the sins of the people which are engraved with an iron pin or a diamond point into their hearts? What do you use to remove something like that? It's there for life. It's there for beyond life. And that passage continues. Uh, We all their children remember their altars and their sacred poles beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country. That's speaking about those places of idolatry. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as a price of your sin throughout all your territory. By your own act you shall lose the heritage that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever." These verses give us some context of Jeremiah's message to the people. The people had forgotten God. They were worshiping other idols on the high hills and the green trees. And because of this, this sin of idolatry, which was often compared to adultery, God had written those sins on their hearts. They were there forever, engraved. Nothing could remove those things. They were etched into stone. Therefore, God says to the people in the beginning of our passage, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. 
They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Right? Those who trust in mere mortals, who put their faith in mere flesh, there is no hope for them. Because mere mortals can't fix those sins that are etched into the stone of our hearts. They can't remove it. The only way to remove those etchings is by the power of God to remove that heart of stone and give a person a heart of flesh. And so those who put their trust in mortals, they're like a shrub in the desert. There is no hope. And they won't see it when relief comes because they're planted in the wrong place and they won't witness that relief. If you trust in mortals and what they can give to you, then you're on your own. You're on your own in this world. And to be on your own in this world is like living in the Bonneville salt flats. You can't grow or find true life. And when the help comes, you won't be there to see it. Now, this is immediately contrasted with the other side. We're glad there's another side, aren't we? Yes. Jeremiah tells us, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. They shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. For those who trust in the Lord, it's like being a tree planted by a year-round stream. They've always got a source of nourishment. They always have a source of, of feeding. They always have a source in which they can receive refreshment. Those who are planted by that stream will produce fruit in its proper season. It will happen because they are cared for and they are watched over. And so when times are difficult, those trees don't need to be anxious because they are by the stream. The passage closes with a warning and a reality check. The warning is that the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? Now, I'm sorry Valentine's Day just passed, you know, and we're all kind of swooning still over the heart. Jeremiah does not have such a high view of the heart. Should we? Anyone ever seen somebody or anyone ever felt your heart lead you to do something that was not good? Or does your heart always lead you to beautiful, wonderful things? No, the heart is deceptive. Right? The heart leads us to do all kinds of things in retrospect we wish we hadn't do, or maybe even in the moment we wish we weren't doing, or thinking, or feeling, or whatever it happens to be. And once a person's heart sets them on a path, how easy is it to dissuade a person from that path? It's almost impossible. Once somebody's heart is set on something to get them to turn, it's the hardest thing. The heart is deceptive. Who can understand it? But the reality check is, I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart. So who understands the human heart? God does. The Lord does. I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to their fruit of their doings. Is that good news? It's some scary news on some level, right? It's good news if you get caught doing good things. 
right? But the human heart, as we've already expressed, does not always lead us to do good things. The reward for those things that are in our heart is not always a good reward. So how do we reconcile this passage from Jeremiah with the good news of Jesus Christ? How do those things reconcile? Well, according to this passage, there's two kinds of people, those who trust in the Lord and those who don't. And then the passage tells us that the heart cannot be trusted and that God sees and understands everything. God knows what's going on in the human heart. He knows what's going on in my heart and in your heart. Our only hope, therefore, is to turn ourselves over to God so that he can show us our hearts, reveal them to us, show us the motives that are behind our actions, and so that he can plant us by the water. If we try to do this on our own, if we try to figure this out as independent and free people, we end up in the Bonneville salt flats. But if we trust in the Lord, he plants us by springs of water. Now, I know I began with that image of those desolate flats on the way to Utah, those places where nothing grows. There's a beautiful coincidence in this place that you're at today, is that underneath this church, really kind of right about there, is a spring. There's a spring under this church. And that spring flows every day of the year in drought and in flood. That spring produces water. You are here. You're here to worship the Lord in this place where there is a true spring as well. And it's not visible. You can't find it. You can't see it. It's not on a map. But there is a spring that Jesus Christ offers us. And it is a spring that flows from his pierced side and that transforms the human heart, takes our heart of stone, the one that's etched with our sins, the one which is covered with our brokenness, God takes that heart from us and gives us a heart of flesh so that we can love him and serve him and be planted by his spring of water. Today, may we turn our eyes towards Jesus Christ and entrust ourselves to him that he might plant us by the springs of water and make us fruitful in the days to come. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the true and living spring, the one who offers us holy and life-giving refreshment. Lord, the one who can take our desert lives and turn them into a place of springs. Lord God, we understand that our hearts are deceptive, that we have fallen short, that we have done and said and thought things, Lord, which separate us from you. And yet, Lord, no distance is too far for you. And you come to us, and you speak into our hearts your words of peace, your words of healing, your words of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord God, for bring, being the spring for us. Lord, plant us, plant us by you, that we might not waver and we might not wander away from you, but that we might have our roots in you.
Lord, and find all of our nourishment and our healing and our joy in you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to produce good fruit, that we might bless those who are around us, Lord. Bless our neighbors, bless our family, and bless our friends, and bless our enemies. Lord God, we entrust ourselves to you. We know that no tree plants itself, but that you are the planter. And so we ask that you would do this great and profound work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.